You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 84 called Integrating Media and Video Journalism into the Classroom. In this episode, we'll be sitting down with Clement Townsend to talk about ways that educators can use EdTech to master storytelling with videos like a pro. This is another episode you really don't want to miss. Check it out. So we're back with episode 84. We have an amazing guest today. He has spent two decades in front of the camera as a sports journalist for local cable and internet news, covering everything from Super Bowls to NBA All-Star Games. Today, he's bringing his expertise to education as an author of How to Become a Broadcasting Star and the creator of the Broadcasting Career Mentor, which provides media training for students across the country. Welcome to the show, Mr. Townsend. Guys, I appreciate you for having me on. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're super excited to have Clement here today. I think it's going to be an awesome episode. What he does is so different from what we do, but also as we're starting to figure out uh, so much the same. So I think this is going to be great. Uh, and because Geis and I are so excited about this particular interview, we decided to change up our whole format. So typically on shows where we interview a guest, we end the episode with something called the Got Tech Hot Seat, which is sort of like a rapid fire Q&A with that guest to sort of get their raw, natural first thought that pops into their head opinion on a series of questions. Today, we're going to flip that on its head and instead start the episode with the hot seat. So for uh, Clement, since this is your first time on the show, and for any listeners who have not heard the hot seat before, the way it works is Geis has put together a series of questions. Clement has not seen these questions before, so how he answers them, like I said, it's the first thought that pops into his head. Uh, Geis is going to do these as fast as he possibly can, which if you've heard Geis speak before is about the pace of an average person because he does talk pretty slow. So Clement, you get a little bit of a benefit there. <laughs> um, and you just answer them. Now the responses are supposed to be relatively brief. And then as you answer, I will be listening. And uh, based on those things, I'll sort of ask you to follow up. And in this way, hopefully we can get to know you a little bit. So I guess I'll just uh, check to make sure Clement, does that all make sense? Do you understand the Got Tech Hot Seat? Absolutely. You put me on a hot seat from the beginning. Wow. What a way to get started. <laughs> uh, yes. This is this is kind of like uh, sports centery a little bit, <laughs> putting them on the hot seat. And, uh, you know, I love sports and I know from you, uh, you have a good, strong history in sports as well. All right. So here we go. Uh, Nick, I'm going to try to get them a little faster this time. We'll see. Here we go. What is the most memorable education experience? Winning the spelling bee in the sixth grade. Love it. Name a teacher or educator that impacted you the most. My mom. She was a teacher. What is the most interesting moment from sports broadcasting? Interesting or exciting, I put the kick six game. I was there when Auburn beat Alabama. Chris Davis, the run back. I think it's the best college football game in history. Uh, what are three EdTech tools, apps, programs that you use in everyday life? We video, Canva, QPrompter.com. What is your favorite quote? Favorite quote, life is to be lived 
from the inside out. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. That's nice. What is the best kept secret? I graduated high school at 16. I guess that's a secret. That's impressive. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I wasn't, that, that's awesome. That's how you can tell we got a broadcasting pro here with us today, everybody. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was spot on super fast. But uh, I mean, there's a ton of these responses I could ask you about. I'm going to actually go back to your very first one. You said your most memorable education experience was a spelling bee. Uh, I got to ask you a little bit more about that. Can you tell us why? What happened with the spelling bee? Just it takes me back to a time where my dad and I, so my parents were both educators. I mentioned my mom was probably the most impactful or the one that made the biggest difference uh, in my life. My dad was an administrator and we used to always practice the spelling words. I'm from Chicago, grew up in Chicago. I think they would give us a list, but I remember the list being like in a newspaper too. But before we went to bed every night, we would practice the words. Fourth grade, I think I came in maybe third place in, in the school spelling bee and fifth grade, like second place. And sixth grade, I won the spelling bee. So it was like a progression, third place, second place, first place. And it was something that I just worked so hard for and to see the fruits of my labor or my efforts, everything come together. That, that just stuck with me. I, I went to the district. I don't know how it goes where you all are. I went to the district, didn't do so well there, but I was the king of my school. I, I won a school spelling <laughs> bee. So in my eyes, you know, I had accomplished a huge goal. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I could not spell without a piece of paper in front of me. <laughs> I had, you know, I had to have everything in front of me, write it down, jot it down, stuff like that. So uh, I'm picturing the spelling bee that's sometimes on ESPN. I do watch that every once in a while if it's on, just because... In admiration, basically. Seeing someone do something so well that you're not, that's not your wheelhouse. I just have great admiration for them because the will to win is nothing. The will to prepare means everything. And and that's something that I, I definitely go by with my sports team. So I, I do appreciate that part of it. So, I mean, those spellers are the cream of the crop. I mean, I feel like I can spell okay, but when I look at the words that they spell and I'm an adult and they're students, it blows me away. Blows me away. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'm coaching golf right now. And uh, we, we have a ninth grade uh, female that is just out of this world. Incredible. Right. So every time she takes a shot, I go, I wish I could be her. <laughs> all right so i gotta ask i mean probably uh, maybe the most interesting thing that we've heard so far is your uh your broadcasting background in particular you said you were at what you consider the best college football game of all time auburn beating alabama were you there in as a broadcaster were you uh, spectating yep. what was what was that like no, I was there as a broadcaster. So it was 2013, you know, the Iron Bowl for those who are college football fans is huge. Uh, some people say that's the biggest rivalry. I'm sure Ohio State, Michigan fans would beg to differ. But Alabama versus Auburn and, you know, without just going into it, certainly it seemed like Alabama had the game won and it was on the plains in Auburn. And, yeah, I was there. I was on the sidelines. So as a broadcaster, you know, some people stay on the sidelines. Other members of the media are in the press box. But everybody in the media goes to the sidelines the last five minutes of the game because once the game is over, you go on the field to do interviews. You do some interviews in the locker room, but it's a lot more exciting when you do interviews on the field. So you thought the game was over. I'm already thinking about what Alabama players I'm going to get. And then Alabama kicks a field goal. Uh, and then the gentleman, Chris Davis, runs it back 100 yards, something like you just don't see every day. The crowd is in awe, astonishment. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Certainly, 
Now who do I interview? Because I'd already plan on interviewing Alabama players. Then not to mention the the crowd stormed the field. So, you know, certainly you all sports <laughs> fans, you've seen it before. But to be on the field and get stuck because the fans stormed the field, I'm trying to do interviews and now get to the locker room. And I'm talking about you couldn't move. It's so many fans <laughs> storming the field. They're coming down. I'm trying to get off. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. Wow. So I, I got to ask, I mean, this is problem solving in, in its best. That's what it is. You, you got put into a situation that immediately changed and then you have to punt and do something totally different. You see what I did there? That's good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a series of steps that allows you to prepare for moments like that to problem solve? This is a big skill in, in education and, and students have to craft the way that they problem solve. Do you have a, a method behind that? I don't have a series of steps in that instance. Certainly as being a journalist, you know, a lot of things change and to have the ability to think quickly on your feet. I think that's something that just comes from being in those situations. So I don't have a series of steps, but in the field, you know, whether I'm at a game or just covering an event or whatever the case may be, like things change on the fly. Who you thought was going to win, just like in this instance, uh, might not win and storylines change so fast. So but that's just part of uh, being a journalist and something that they always talk about. The best journalists do. They're able to you know, pivot and think quickly on their feet. But to answer your question, I don't necessarily have a series of steps. It's just kind of evaluating the situation as it happens and just making uh, snap decisions based on the information that you have. So I've always wondered in those scenarios when you when that, you know, when the interviewer goes up onto the field or the court after a game, like you said, it's all happening so quick. When you were doing this, do you have like certain questions in your head ready to go that you can sort of tailor to fit? any scenario so no matter what happens even if there is you know a, a sudden change in in the winter or who you're talking to you can very easily apply those questions to almost any situation absolutely so the easy way is most and i can just speak for sports reporters or journalists you know you're following the flow of the game you all talk about narratives quite a bit narratives and teaching you're following the flow of the game so what happened in the first quarter team a jumped out to a big lead and if they go on to blow the team out well it's easy hey team a you jumped out to a big lead you kept your foot on the gas you didn't let them back in the game how were you all able to do that and you, you continue on you know what was the first half like third quarter the easiest way is if something happens that changes at the end of the game, well, then you just blow everything out that happened in the first and second quarter because none of that stuff is relevant. So if a team B makes a big comeback, baseball, football, basketball, man, you all were down 15. You all were down two touchdowns. What got you all fired up? What changed? So it's just asking the most recent and most pertinent information and you blow the rest of it out. And that's that's typically the way I go about it that allows you to pivot because th that's what happened recently. That's what everybody wants to know. So you just ask that sort of thing. It's awesome. I, I find that stuff super fascinating. And those skills, a lot of the times, that's what we all, all try to impart to students as well. And sort of letting them know that this is this is a process. Like nobody walks out with that kind of stuff built in. And you may feel like you're going to stumble over your words. But over time, you kind of build that comfortability. So I'm glad we got to mention that uh, in, you know, in reference to sports broadcasting. But really, that applies anywhere. Even if you're sitting down like we're doing with you today in a typical podcast, uh, you still have to pivot and sort of make those sudden decisions. So that's super cool. Two more things, I think, to wrap this up. We are, of course, uh, an EdTech 
show. So I, I feel like I, I have to go back to, you mentioned some ed tech tools. I know we video and Canva were at least two of them. Uh, just what do you like about those? I mean, obviously those are some of my favorites too. Canva in particular, I use, I mean, now it's like every single day. Teleprompter, I believe was the other one. What do you, what do you like about these things for teachers and for students in particular? Certainly when it comes to making graphics and things of that nature, Canva, I mean, you just can't beat it. Um, you all talk about it quite a bit. They have a free version and a paid version just for any type of pictures that you need, flyers. I mean, whatever the case may be. I mean, you can pretty much find it there on Canva. So when it comes to we Video, actually, I start off as an Adobe guy. So when it comes to editing in the broadcasting profession, for the most part, it's Final Cut Pro and it's Adobe. And a lot of times at the television stations, I learn and use Adobe Premiere Pro. So I actually started as an Adobe Premiere Pro type person. But when it comes to education, we video just came out with something that works so well with Chromebooks. And Adobe Premiere Pro doesn't really, you, you can't use, I, I take that, I won't even say it doesn't really work well. It's too powerful to work with a Chromebook, whereas we video is kind of like internet based or cloud based, so to speak. So you can you can put the program on there. I mean, well, this is got tech is, so we can talk about it. I mean, the system and the RAM and the memory that Adobe Premiere Pro uses, you 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 can't run that on a Chromebook. So I had to find a way. What 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 do students have access to that will make it, you know, more accessible and things of that nature? And certainly we video fits the bill. And then for me, so I came from a journalism background. Most times when I'm doing stories, I'm shooting things. You know, I'm going out with a station camera or even now. A lot of times I try to get students to shoot things with their cell phone. But that might not always be possible. And then with we video, as you all already know, and maybe your listeners do or don't, they have such a robust image gallery and 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 a video gallery so if you did not shoot anything you can still complete and finish a story they have music everything is built in so i transitioned from adobe premiere pro they won me over with all the tools and all the features that they have over to we video and then the last one was qprompter.com i believe it is q c u e qprompter.com and that allows you to turn your laptop into a teleprompter so before COVID, I would always go into schools with my own teleprompter. I never learned how to read from a teleprompter until I was in college. So I was always giving middle school students, high school students the opportunity to write stories, upload to Google Drive, and they would read from a teleprompter. And they felt like they were super professional. We would mic them up and everything like that. But students don't have a teleprompter at home. But QPrompter.com allows you to turn your laptop into a teleprompter. So if you're doing something video based uh, and you're reading something and you can't memorize it all, it allows students to be more comfortable and confident with what they're reading because they can read it off the screen just like a teleprompter. And guys, it's free, too. I know you all like the free part and a lot of educators do as well. I do love that four letter F word right there. That's for sure. That's yeah, that's for sure. That's awesome. And I don't know that I don't know that we've brought up qprompter.com before. So that's great. Put a pin in that, everybody, as a, as a brand new ed tech tool featured on the show here today. Uh, and then lastly, you know, you said your best kept secret was graduating at 16. I hope you don't mind. I got to ask, man, how did you how do you how do you even do that? So certainly I mentioned my parents were educators. 
Uh, education in school was very important in my household. I was lucky enough to go to a school in seventh and eighth grade that allowed you to earn high school credits. So by the time you got to your junior or senior year, you had enough credits to graduate early um, without going into my full story. But I wanted to go to the NBA, couldn't go to the NBA. And I decided, well, if I can't go to the NBA, how can I stay around sports? And so when I was in high school, I figured out, well, maybe I can talk about sports. So it got to a point whereas I knew what I wanted to do in my career and I had enough credits to graduate early. So I talked about it with my parents, really thought it over, prayed about it and was like, well, if I already would know what I want to do and I have enough credits, like, why am I staying here? So I graduated a year early based on having enough credits, knowing I wanted to do, went on to be on television for 17 years and the rest is history. <laughs> That, that is absolutely awesome. Uh, I love that story. I mean, you seem like you were way more mature than I ever was uh, <laughs> through those years for you to have a clue what you wanted to do. I had no clue what I wanted to do until I got to like junior year of college and then I started figuring it out. But I mean, having You're giving me too much credit, guys, you're giving me way too <laughs> much credit, way too much credit. Having two educators as parents, that was probably hard and very awesome after the fact as well. I mean, I'm sure that they pushed you and we thank you for, we thank them for their service to education because uh, we just like to give credit where credit is due. Oh, so, yeah, I, I hated it. I hated it growing up. I had to, I hated it growing up. <laughs> we were always doing school. There was no summer break. I had summer school at home. I hated it. But as an adult, I realized the benefit of it. And I'm thankful now, like, you know, hopefully some of your students are as well. <laughs> you can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. That's going to wrap up the hot seat. We'll cool it down a little bit and get into the real cool stuff, which is, I guess, your transition from your career into helping out education, giving back to education through some of your initiatives. So I know for Nick and I over the last, since the beginning of the pandemic, really, we've shifted our focus away from some of the ed tech tools that allow teachers to work more efficiently and students to work more efficiently to more of the content creation and getting students out there to be content creators, whether it is with graphic design or photography, digital artwork, podcasting, those types of things. Today, we want to bring it into something that we're not as familiar about. And it's just because, you know, there are so many little niches within student content creation that we could get into. So I'm very excited to learn from you about video journalism and why video journalism is important in education. So for me, it's really about the transferable skills. You know, I would like all the listeners and your audience not to only think about it. Well, what if my students don't want to go into media or what if they don't want to go into journalism? It's not necessarily about that. What I always say is both of you all have a background in science. Nick, I even think now you still teach AP biology and everybody won't go into science. But the things they learn from science are super important. You know, they might be a foreign language at school. There might be history at school, sports at school, but everybody won't be a musician. Everybody won't be an athlete, but it's the things that they learn. So for me, when it comes to video journalism and media, and when I talk about media, it's video and telling stories. It's the process, what students learn through the process, the transferable skills of doing the research of writing a story, of speaking and narrating and presenting, which 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 
couples into your communication skills and then certainly the editing skills that goes along with it, the use of technology, which prepares them for the 21st century. Pretty much every career field, it helps to have some working knowledge of videos. If you want to open up a restaurant, it helps to be able to know how to showcase your and things of that nature to get more customers in by creating videos. If you want to be in real estate, a real estate agent showing off the homes that are your listings, or if you flip houses, showing off the homes that you rehab. I mean, I can go on and on. If you want to open up a barbershop or you're a hairstylist to show people your work. So it, it crosses every single career field, finance, politics, fashion, the ones that I named. It's super important for whatever a student wants to do to learn these transferable skills. And the last example that I would give, just in terms of getting into college, I've spoken with a lot of students and there are some colleges, and especially now during a pandemic, you know, back in the day it used to be, you might write an essay to get into a college, but some colleges now just submit a video about yourself and who you are. So for students who are already comfortable, you know, doing videos and that's like second nature, that would be nothing for them. And submitting a video would be something that is very easy. So, so many applications and it's not just being a journalist or a media person. That's why I feel like it's important. Yeah, I absolutely love the fact that you pointed out transferable skills. Our job as educators is to get students ready for the next level whether that's college or whether it's the work field. And if we can't give them glimpses of those opportunities, then we're not doing our job as educators. And I think transferable skills is basically the reason why we need to give them these experiences. So let's take this a step further. How do we get teachers to teach students about these transferable skills? What is the best way of going about and doing that? Is it trial by error? Is it you know laying out a plan? Is it allow students to come up with their own plan? What, what, what do you suggest? So certainly, you know, I try to shorten the learning curve for teachers. Um, you all seem to be, and I really look at you all as people that will try different things and figure things out. And I believe you all lean on your PLN, but what about the teachers that don't necessarily have a strong PLN or, you know, don't necessarily have the time to devote to trying to figure some things out or just aren't tech savvy. There are just some teachers who aren't tech savvy. So certainly I do work with teachers and have an online course that takes them step by step through the process of, as I mentioned, doing the research for a story and writing the story and potentially interviewing people if you want to go that far and also editing the story. So it's one thing to say, okay, let's let's bring video to the classroom. Um, we've talked about sports. You could say, okay, just go shoot jump shots. So yes, some teachers could piece things together. And I know a lot of teachers piece things together off YouTube, but it's another thing to have someone who actually shows you the ropes uh, if Steph Curry had videos on shooting, I think that's better than just watching videos on YouTube on shooting. So certainly I have something videojournalismpro.com, www.videojournalismpro.com that helps teachers in that regard. And just really trying to hopefully, and I think your audience is like that, not the teacher, not limiting what the students can learn based on their own knowledge, so to speak, being okay with potentially learning along with the students because certainly that the teacher might not know everything about editing and things of that nature but the great thing about youth and students are once you show them some things 
they can go ahead and figure a lot of things out because they have grown up in technology. So I appreciate you all for the people that are maybe looking at this on video, www.videojournalismpro.com. And, and when I work with some schools and doing Zooms and Google Meets, I can show some students some things and next week they'll come back and have a product that shows off different things that I never even showed them because they're taking initiative and they can just work their way and find their way around platforms. But one of the easiest things that I say is just something simple as whatever the unit is. If you're doing science and the unit is on, I guess, the environment or something like that, just have a student just film a video and, and say, what do they know about the environment? Or what do they know about climate change? What do they know about uh, a specific part of trigonometry? Or what do they know about connotation and bias in English, whatever the lesson is, an easy way to get started, them saying what they know about it and maybe submitting that at the beginning and then maybe coming back at the end, submitting at the end what they learned. And now you can start to hear from every single student and they can get a little comfortable in terms of presenting, you know, public speaking, speaking on camera. And it's something that won't be too over the top, maybe for the student or a teacher who is kind of really just trying to dip their toe into this pool as it pertains to video. <laughs> I like how you mentioned sort of giving kids or students this almost like a toolbox of things like here's here's a little bit about editing. Here's a couple tools you can use to record. Go around with it and just sort of letting sort of seeing what they come back with. And like you said that many times it's they can they can run with those things and then produce stuff that you never would have even thought of, which even ties in with the transferable skills you mentioned at the beginning. I mean, that's really what we're talking what we're talking about is here's some skills. Now you have those and now you can use those hopefully in different scenarios. So I think that's great. And just because you mentioned it, this might be a good time if I'm a teacher listening to today's episode and I'm like, yeah, this is a this is something for my class. I want to start bringing in more videos for class projects, even if I'm you know, you mentioned trigonometry. Even if I teach math, I think that could be a part of something that would be helpful and engage students. And then I say, well, I'm going to go to videojournalismpro.com uh, to get started in this process. Can you just sort of let people know what they're going to find there, what resources you have, what that might provide them and, and what you offer at your website? Absolutely. So when you go to that website, that just actually gives you a free resource that I have, 10 tips that helps teachers with their students to create better video content, to create a better life. And I just truly believe, as I've already emphasized, when students can create video, it really kind of enhance and opens them up to have success in life. Because certainly what you all always talk about, and I believe it, is just that creativity piece. I believe creativity leads to innovation. So when you go there, you know, you, you will put in your email address, you will get a free resource, and it just talks about different tips. Some of them are tools like a qprompter.com. That one is on there. But some of them are also just also video strategies, but it's free things that teachers could potentially implement right that right right then and there. And then once you put your email in, certainly I will send you an email, uh, whoever the educator is or administrator, about what that full course offers, videojournalismpro.com. And again, it's my expertise, 17 years, everything that I learned in an online setting, really walking the teachers step by step through the process so they can feel confident and maybe rolling that out in their classroom. It's, it's still a pandemic. Certainly teachers have so much 
uh, going on. So to really try to save them time, you know, that's the great thing about the microwave. I don't know how often you all use the microwave. <laughs> we all probably could use the oven a little bit more, but the microwave saves you time. So trying to save teachers time with a resource that has everything in one place that they can feel confident. They don't have to go to YouTube, learn it figure out lessons, how to teach it, you know, all that is kind of built in. So that's what they would find there. See, that was going to be one of my questions uh, was the time piece. I know growing up in educator's household, you probably heard the issue of time. We don't have time or how can we create more time or what can we sacrifice here? And really what I'm hearing throughout this whole conversation is, you know, video presents different ways for students to present the same information just in a different way. Maybe something that is more interesting to them. You could provide them with choice. If they want to write the essay, write the essay or do this. And they're getting the same takeaways of information. They still have to do research and all that. The other thing with time is your course. Your course is amazing for a summer PD and we're coming up on summer. We're almost there. We got we got another month and a half and most of us are out. So what I'm going to say is this. I strongly believe, and I know Nick feels the same way, and I'm getting the same thing from Clement as well, that there is a place and a space for creativity in schools. So maybe this course is where you need to start to get those skills to feel comfortable enough to introduce you know, these video resources, these video skills, journalism skills to your students fresh for next year. Let's start something new. Get on that e-portfolio. Get these videos in there. And let's start getting these students prepared skill-wise for the future. I don't know what I just did there, but it sounded like a broadcaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to expand on that, I hope a lot of educators, and I believe you all are aligned with this as well, in terms of meeting students where they are. So I have a third grader. I believe you all, you know, deal in the high school space. But regardless, whether it's high school or middle school or, or elementary, like students are watching video pretty much every single day, you know, every single day. I've been doing this particular thing after I moved to transit from journalists for three years. And when I ask students how often they watch YouTube, I normally hear them say daily. So if students are watching YouTube daily and they're watching TikTok videos or Facebook daily, in my opinion, and I love to hear what you guys think, it is just a good correlation to meet students where they are if they're watching videos to now put that together with their educational experience. You know, I always say media is not just entertainment, which you all know, it can also be educational. So just to merge those two, I feel like it makes the learning more relatable. I feel like it boosts student engagement. I mean, I've heard you all say before that some of the things that you all did, and I believe it may have been uh, guys who way back in, in a day in a physics class may have did a video about the black hole or something like that. Like students remember projects over papers. So really trying to get students to deepen that learning experience, to retain the information. And and certainly it might not be something that like you grade like a normal paper, but it still can be assessed, though. But it meets students where they are. That's why I think it's so important and so powerful. This makes me think of something else that's on your website, which um, just references storytelling. And I think that kind of ties in with, you know, how much students today engage with video. Uh, A big part of that is they want to tell their story. They want to talk about themselves. They want to share of themselves. Uh, So I don't know, Clement, if you could just maybe talk a little bit about that and what role that plays and and how important is that to students and and especially 
know, because if I'm a teacher listening, I want to make sure that that can impact learning too and help my students. What is the role of that storytelling in that that narrative, which is the word Geis and I typically use, but I think we're just describing the same thing different ways. Absolutely. So, you know, if a teacher uses it in a science format or a history format, that would be, you know, different formats, but it would still be conveying information. But as it pertains to your question about storytelling, you know, my background is in journalism. So it's stories that inform, stories that inspire and stories that impact. So I think about, too, you know, specifically maybe a capstone project or uh, certainly English where people are doing stories on. And and you're talking about, I guess, students want to talk about themselves. What is it like in their community? Or, you know, that's why I think it can bridge across content areas, because I've had students that do stories on things that they have overcome. So it now kind of gets into, you know, an SEL piece where now it allows teachers to learn more about the student, to know more about the student's background and hear about who they are in the student's own words. And a student can potentially open up. So it, it goes across so many content areas um, because it, it, it is the student choice. You know, if it's not science or math, you know, if it is a capstone project or some type of semester ending project, then the stu- it, it can be a little more open for the student to talk about zoology or um, what's going on in their community or even for the student to talk about what's going on at the school. You know, that that's one thing that's super important. I always say we're in an age now where every school should have its own media department. Um, And I don't mean like it doesn't have to be a media arts like what you all have is amazing. You know, shout out to you all uh, with the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network. I mean, that is just fantastic. But to be honest, every school might not have the budget for that. You know, every school might not necessarily be able to be able to do that sort of thing. But if you are teaching the students how to create videos, certainly the school can still showcase what's happening within whether the student wants to talk about the school or their family or the community, it just gives the students options though. Uh, and you all have talked before about, you know, having a YouTube channel. Now you put things on a YouTube channel, potentially parents see it, parents share it, alumni see it, alumni share it. I believe that's something, you know, that certainly that you all want to uh, build. It can strengthen your school community. So in addition to we've talked about transferable skills, uh, the education and the learning that's tied to it, because it can be tied with standards. I talk to a lot of administrators, you know, they want to know, well, is this aligned with standards? We, we got standards. We need them to be able to learn certain things. And we talk about synthesizing information and research. It's aligned with standards, but it can also strengthen the school community as well. So I hope that answered your question, but I believe it gave some valuable information. Yeah, man. I just wanted to make sure that we referenced what kids are going to get out of this and how it can help the learning process. So for sure, uh, you hit on a ton of different things there that could take us uh, many, many different directions. So I think I think you, I think you nailed it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I know for me, you're tying in all these big educational hot topics like student centered learning, personalized learning, choice, all the all these topics. And really, it's not just about the words, it's the action behind it. And, and one of the things that I see is um, teachers assigning some type of a project that students work at over a long period of time, 
it gets turned in and then it dies. It gets graded and it's done. But there's more value. And I think the value to their contribution to society, to education is what we're missing as educators. And I think uh, being able to get people on board with video journalism just to start or blogging or whatever it may be, I think this is the start of something awesome. I think we're in this content creation age where everyone has the chance at contributing value. So that's what I'm getting from this. I could listen to you all day long. I mean, we speak the same language. Uh, you just uh, know a lot more about this area than than I do, which I have learned a lot. I have a note card full of stuff. I have actually three note cards here. So I do appreciate your time and expertise and, and your wisdom on this topic. Absolutely. I, I just hope that, and I believe your audience probably does, that educators recognize the time in which we are in. When I was in school, it was just pen and paper. And maybe if your school had a video camera, it was something that was big and bulky. And if somebody did a video, what would it be on like VHS, you know, that sort of thing, but you couldn't really share it or show it. And then like there, there was no editing programs that you can use in school. But now because of technology, you know, you can distribute and the barriers have now been brought down. If most kids have a phone, you can now film on your phone or edit on your phone, you know, because my program, I talk about we video and I did say I was an Adobe guy, but in my program, uh, I do go over Adobe rush, you know, and Adobe rush is the cell phone app of Adobe premiere pro. And a lot of students already know how to use iMovie, but because you can edit on your phone, you have a, a device where you can film with, you know, on your phone, and then you have the internet, like, it's no reason why creation and videos and stories shouldn't be in school. It, the technology wasn't what it was 20 years ago, but because technology has evolved and society has evolved, I just certainly hope that the way we try to teach or some of the methods that educators use to still educate students and still, you know, help them to, to learn these important skills, I hope those methods evolve. And I'm trying to bridge that gap with some people who might not necessarily be as tech savvy as you guys. I know you all, you guys go to a ton of workshops, seminars, conferences, and you all do a fantastic job of sharing information, you know, with your audience. But for people who might need a little more help and somebody say, hey, you know, is there a video on this? You know, I'm just trying to bridge that gap to get everybody in the same direction in which you all are well on down the road. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I like how you mentioned like all these tools today. It's, it's so exciting because for free, really, you can create with something like WeVideo, just super professional looking stuff as compared to when we were in school. You know, you'd be lucky if there was any way to record yourself at all outside of like maybe the, the school's TV studio. So it, it's just an exciting time to be a teacher that we can bring this stuff to students and teach them these transferable skills and, you know, and hopefully make them help them remember content better, too, as they learn more and just prepare them for for anything in their lives. And it, it does sound to me like we're kind of winding down here. So, Clement, I'll just ask you. Is there anything else you want to tell people about? Anything else you want to add to uh, to this episode? No, I think we pretty much covered it all. I enjoy the opportunity to talk about broadcasting. Like certainly a lot of times, you know, when I do interviews, it's, it's, 
is specifically or focused more on education, but the hot seat and talking about the the, the kick six and some of the things we talked about at the at the very beginning uh, were super cool. But no, just appreciate you all for having me on. Would love to connect, you know, with any teachers to see how I can help them. Certainly, you know, the world has opened up because of the pandemic. You know, we've all had to use technology and things of that nature. You know, prior to the pandemic. Me maybe connecting with you all via a, a Zoom, Google Meet, or a StreamYard wouldn't have been possible. But now to be able to have a reach to help teachers to then uh, in turn help students nationwide, I mean, that's 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 fantastic. All right, so yeah, stay tuned for uh, Clement's contact information. I'll have that right at the end. And I'll just wrap it up by saying thank you, sir. This was awesome. So thanks, Clement Townsend, for joining us for an episode of Got Tech, the podcast. I think this is going to sort of go down in history as one of our favorite ones. Thanks to our listeners, as always, for, for spending time with us today. We want to encourage everyone listening uh, to check out and follow Clement online. You can find him on Twitter at ClementTV underscore. He's got a LinkedIn page as well at Clement Townsend. Also, his website, again, is www.video.com journalismpro.com and please reach out to him uh, there to make contact and get his opinion and his help and just touch base uh, for our listeners uh, you can subscribe to got tech the podcast at any place you listen to podcasts as well as uh, writing those reviews subscribing all super helpful most importantly just tell your friends about us and thanks for listening Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.